The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning. I want to welcome each and every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, It's fall break for most of us, so there are a lot of people out of town traveling, but that also means there may be some of you that are here visiting with us, and there may be some of you who have uh, visited with us before. If you're a visitor, we would love to get to know you more. There are cards uh, up here in the lobby to fill out or on your... um, on the bulletin, you could scan the QR code, uh, uh, QR, what is it called? QR co- code, or the, co- or the co- cord, whichever one you want. And uh, um, we would love to, to get to know you a little bit better. We finished up last week with a sermon series on Christ and crisis. And I want to echo what Brett said and thank all of those who were vulnerable and willing to share about their crisis and about their lives in order that we could, one, uh, talk about uh, some of these things that sometimes don't get talked about at church, that we need to talk about more. And there are so many other stories. In fact, there are many people that came up to Brett and I that we didn't interview that said, hey, if you need someone else, I'd be willing to share. And it just hit home to us, even though that series was heavy, um, I think it was good and necessary to be able to talk about the things that sometimes don't get talked about, that not every story may resonate with you, but like Steve said, sometimes you are on the mat and sometimes we need ears to hear and eyes to see so that we can pick up the mat of others and take them to Jesus. And so we don't want that conversation to end. Last week, Brett talked about ghost stories where if we want to hear your stories and begin cataloging those, those stories to where they can be shared with this congregation. So if you have a story to share, and it doesn't have to be one of crisis, but contact the church office and we'd love to set up where we can video your ghost story. And to keep the conversation going, uh, next weekend, if we could put the slide up, next weekend is a seminar, Wounded Church, Trauma, Suffering, and the life of faith in the wounded world. And Michael Hannigan, who's a member of this church, is going to lead a conversation, a seminar, next weekend on Wounded Church. There is child care available. There are around, uh, Michael says, around 50 people that have already signed up. It is free to attend, but they do need you to sign up, one, so that you can, they can know how much materials to print off. You can either go talk to Michael right after church, or you can go... Uh, on the Facebook uh, web, on the Facebook page of the Springs, there'll be a link where you could sign up. So, if you're interested in this and want to continue the conversation, please consider next weekend. Today, we want to begin a new sermon series on prayer. When you pray, praying your way into God's world. And right off the bat, right off the bat, I just I have to make a confession. Prayer is not easy for me. 
Now, I do pray, just in case you're wondering, does our preacher ever pray? Yes, I do pray. When I say prayer is not easy, I don't mean that I don't pray. It's a discipline that I practice. But it doesn't come easy for me. Now, some of you out there, it comes very easy for. It's like your natural posture. It's the thing you go to. And you, in some ways, I admire you, and you also make me sick. Why is it so easy for you? I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but I'm guessing in here is that there's a lot of people that if they're honest with themselves, you're like me, and prayer is not easy or natural for you. Here's what I mean by that, at least for myself. Sometimes I just don't know what to say. I just don't know what to pray for. Have you ever felt that way? Those words don't come easy, and I'm a preacher. Words about God come easy for me. Like sometimes most of you remind me, you say way too many words, as my daughters ask me all the time, Dad, is this gonna be a long preach? If you come up to me and say that, my daughter can say that to me, but you don't come up and say that to me. (laughs) Words don't come easy for me always in prayer. And oftentimes I begin praying, and if you're like me, do you find yourself drifting? And pretty soon you're like, whoa, 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 what was that? I was just praying, what happened? And I'm thinking about all the things I have to do that, this day, or all the things in my, or I'm just thinking about frivolous things. But then when I actually get around to praying, here's the other thing that I struggle with. Is that I feel like prayer is about me. Like I begin drifting thinking about all the things that occupy my life and my thoughts and I should bring those to God. By prayer and petition, submit your request to God. I should bring my life before God. So that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that oftentimes I fall into this feeling of like bringing my life before God and it becomes almost like this wish list. Almost like When I was younger and I'd go and sit on Santa's lap and tell them all the things that I wanted for Christmas. And while it's appropriate to take my life before God and my prayer and petitions, I have this odd, strange feeling, maybe it's just me that I struggle with, that prayer is about me. It feels like prayer is about shaping the world according to what I want sometimes. So as a disciple of Jesus, I, like the disciples and the, gospel of, of, uh, and the gospels, want to come to Jesus and say, Lord, teach me, teach us to pray. And Jesus responds, when you pray, this is how you should pray. Let's pray this prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We know this prayer as the Lord's Prayer. Because the disciples asked, Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus, who is Lord, who we claim to be Lord, says, when you pray, this is what you're to say. But there's another name by which this prayer goes by. It's not just the Lord's Prayer. And our tradition doesn't use this other name. But the other name that this prayer goes by, it's the Our Father. Our church tradition doesn't use the Our Father. But it's appropriately named the Our Father because it begins with Our Father. And what's interesting is that when Jesus calls us into prayer, he invites us into a prayer in which he calls God Father. Into which he says we are to call God our Father. In other words, prayer is this invitation to this dialogue which is intimate and personal with God. As if you're talking or speaking to a loved one, someone that is integral to your life, someone who is the source of your life. And so it's appropriate that prayer should be personal. For you're talking to your creator. And Jesus invites us to think that way about prayer. But we've often thought about our spiritual lives, at least in our culture, in terms of personal, your personal faith or your personal relationship with God. And while your relationship with God is personal, and God is very personal to you and to me, prayer is not only, it's always personal, but prayer is never private. And here's what I mean by that. That if anybody has the right to pray my father, it's Jesus. If there's anybody that has the right to say my father, it is God's only son, Jesus. But when Jesus teaches us to pray, he does not begin the prayer with my father. This is what strikes me is that of all the people that could be justified in beginning with my father, this very personal my, he doesn't begin with my, he begins with our. When you pray, say this, our father. And so while prayer is personal, it is never private. Because when you pray this prayer, when we just prayed this prayer this morning, you are joining in with millions of people around the world who are praying this prayer today. And I know for a fact that you're joining in throughout the week praying this prayer with millions of people that are praying this prayer every day. I guarantee, because in Uganda, 
the, the practices that happen, I could go back to the same village churches that I used to work in and worship in in Uganda, East Africa, and they're not going to be much different from when I was there almost 10 years ago. I guarantee that in some of those churches, they're praying this prayer today. The Our Father. That there are house churches and underground churches in China that are praying this prayer today. That in Latin America, there are people gathering in masses, masses amounts of people that are gathering and praying this prayer this morning. There are people literally around the globe praying this prayer. But it's not only you're joining in from people around the globe when you pray this prayer. When you pray, Our Father. You are joining in people, hundreds of millions of people throughout time. Because it's not just now that we've prayed this prayer. The church has prayed this prayer ever since Jesus taught his disciples to pray it. There were literally hundreds of millions, not billions of people throughout time that have prayed, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That when you pray this prayer, that when Jesus says to pray, he is inviting you to join in something that is bigger than yourself. Did you hear that? Prayer is always personal but it is never private. You are always joining in when you pray to something bigger than yourself, which expands over space and time. But there's also a missional character to this Our Father because when Jesus prays this prayer, one thing that I think he assumes is that God is not only Father and Creator over people who pray, He is the Father, He is Creator over all of humanity. And so there's a missional character to this prayer. You're not just joining in with other believers over space around the globe and over time, but you're joining into something bigger than yourself of even people that don't pray. Karl Barth says it this way. He says that when you pray this prayer, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It implies the communion of all humanity praying with Jesus Christ. And when we pray this prayer with Jesus, we are also in communion with those who do not pray yet, perhaps, but for whom Jesus Christ prays, since he prays for humanity as a whole. And he goes on to say, when Christians pray, They are, so to speak, the substitutes for all those who do not pray. And in this sense, they are in communion with them in the same manner as Jesus Christ has entered into solidarity with all lost humanity. The prayer becomes this missional act. This is why you pray. You don't just pray for you. You just don't enter into prayer for all those who also enter into prayer. That you pray on behalf of those 
who have refused to pray in hopes that one day they will join in. Because Jesus prays for all those who do not pray. Prayer is always personal, but it is never private. And you are joining into something that is bigger than yourself, that expands over space and time, and it is bigger than just joining in with the communion of people who actually do pray. You are joining into purposes which are bigger than your own. And so when Jesus says, pray like this, when you pray, our Father in heaven, he says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed's not a word that we use a lot. We use it some, like we talk about these are hallowed grounds or sacred grounds, maybe of something very special that happened. And we're about to come up on a, 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 a holiday which has the word in it, right kids? What holiday's coming up? Ollie, what holiday's coming up? Well, Christmas is coming up. You're right. Christmas is coming. But what comes before Christmas? Halloween. Which actually began as a Christian holiday. It means the Hallow Eve, or it comes from the holiday, the Christian holiday, All Hallowed Eve. Or All Saints Eve where Christians have celebrated the saints, where they've celebrated those who have gone on before us in Jesus Christ, the martyrs. Or in general, it's just a day to remember those who have passed on, those who have died. Hence, this is why Halloween is about, now is about ghosts and goblins, and right? Like culturally, it shifts. As we can imagine, the way Christmas, right, shifts in some ways. But this word, hallowed, it's really connected with this idea of holy. And holy is not so much like pure, this word that means pure, but holy really means just something that is set apart. Right? And it's connected with God's name that says, God, your name is set apart. It's also connected, I think, in the Lord's Prayer with this idea and the command. That the third command, that when Moses brings the ten off the mountain, the third is, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Now, I grew up thinking about that command in this way. Don't say, oh my God. Which I tell, tell, tell my children, I was like, let's not say that. Right? It's almost to say frivolously using God's name. Right? Or it's like when you get up in the middle of the night and you're walking around and you stub your toe on the end of the bed. I don't know why it is, but there's something about your toe that's connected to the part of your brain that has all the cuss words in it. Is that your experience? Like every, I'm not saying I curse every time I stub my toe, but you, you, that part of my brain turns on. You know, you stub your toe, you're like, 
and you want to use God's name <laughs> to do something to the corner of that bed, right? God, fill in the blank. Don't, don't sit there and smugness. You know your brain's connected to your big toe. That part of your brain is connected to your big toe. I'm looking at you, Brad. You know. It's biology. Right, Amanda? That's how it works, right? But I think while it's not good to use God's name frivolously, I don't think the command is really just about that. Even though I, I don't advise us using God's name frivolously, just, but it's not just really about, as I tell my college students, dropping a GD. Right? That it's something more like this. In World War I, the Germans, as they fought, part of their issued uniform is they had a belt, and on the buckle of the belt, excuse me, it read in German, God is with us, or God favors our cause. And in World War I, Heinrich uh, Hilmner, he was a soldier in the war, but didn't fight that much. And then in World War II, became an SS officer and a high, high-ranking SS officer in Adolf Hitler's Germany. And he had this strong belief about race and ethnicity that he believed some human beings to be uh, the Aryan race or a pure race and some to be subhuman. And part of that subhuman race was Jewish people. And so he was one of the main masterminds in coming up with what they called the final solution or the extermination of the Jews. But one of the things he knew is that he thought Christianity kind of got in the way of this. And so he, along with other Nazis in Germany, co-opted Christianity for this re-Germanization project. In other words, this project to make Germany Aryan again, white again, a particular race again, he baptized this national identity into the Christian faith, and it became not only the project of Adolf Hitler's Germany, it became the Christian project. So much so that you could go today to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., and they have his helmet, the actual, one of the actual helmets he wore, and on his helmet there's a cross. More than just saying, oh my God, not taking the Lord's name in vain, or what it means to say, "How Lord, hallowed be your name, is that this is what it means. It means God's name is for God's purposes and not ours. God's name is for God's purposes, not my purposes. And it was a big deal in ancient Near Eastern culture to call on the name of a deity, right? So let me give you an example. 
in 1 Kings 18, 22 through 24. It says, then Elijah said to them, talking to the prophets of Baal, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. So get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into two pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. To it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And by the way, when he uses Lord here, he's not using the name that uh, God gave to Moses, which is Yahweh, or I am who I am. In fact, you often find that phrase, Lord, capital L-O-R-D, is this kind of surname for God. You don't find, in fact, that, that, that name Yahweh may appear in the text, but when Hebrew people would read it, they wouldn't read the name Yahweh, so we don't know exactly how it's pronounced, right, always. But the reason they wouldn't read that name out loud is because of the command, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Hebrew people do not use that name. Usually they substitute it for Adonai or Lord, right? So he says, I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all, pe then all the people said, what you say is good. So the prophet Elijah says, you call on the name of your God, I'll call on the name of the Lord, and we'll see what happens. And then they call, I don't know if you remember the story, they call on the name, and he mocks them. He literally belittles them and mocks them until he calls in the name of God and fire comes down. But for us, we don't call on the name of God like, like that normally. But we do have these examples, right? From World War I where they said God is God is on our side or God favors our cause. Two, Heinrich Hilmner, who actually kind of co-ops the name of God for his own purposes. And I think the, one of the key here to this is that this word vain, do not use the Lord's name in vain. It's connected with this word vanity. And it's when we obscure our true intentions by using the name of God for our own purposes. So this is why Jesus, one of the reasons Jesus gets really mad at the Pharisees. There's actually a story about how the Pharisees use God's name for their own purposes. So in Mark chapter 7, verse 16, says this, he replied, Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human teachings, human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that they might have been used 
uh, anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is korban, or that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your own traditions that you've handed down. And you do many things like this. In other words, he calls them hypocrites and their worship vain because what they're doing, the command is honor your father and mother. And part of that command is not just respect your father and mother, which you should do, looking at you, wake up. You better pay attention. But it is when your parents, when you're in a society that doesn't have retirement plans, when you're too old to work, to honor your father and mothers, to care for them when they get too old. And so what was happening in this text is that they had money they were to use to help their father and mother. But there was this way to say, korban, or this money is devoted to God, and therefore my obligations are done. And he says, you hypocrites. You are using God's name for your own purposes, to obscure your own intentions, to justify those things. And so hallowed be your name is a confession of God that God's name is for God's purposes and not yours. In this confession, we are surrendering our vanity. Life is not about my own power, my own recognition, my own ability, my own ambitions, my own plans, my own righteousness. God's name is for God's purposes and not my purposes. Prayer, prayer is always personal, but prayer is never private. And prayer is participating in something bigger than yourself. And that something bigger than yourself is God's purposes, which span across space and time and is for all humanity, including you. Prayer is the practice that leads you and I and forms us more fully into the world as God imagines it in Jesus. Would you stand as we continue our prayer to Him this morning?